So let's jump into the word, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up there behind me. It's kind of small, but hopefully you have it at least on your phone or something. This is what it says, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This is a term that he used to refer to himself often. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's, that's just son of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, you are Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The question of identity is what we find in this passage. I have this friend who, uh, when we were in college, his name is Dave, he tells this story. This literally happened to him. He was maybe 21 years old. He was at a gas station. It was night. It was dark. He was minding his own business, and he was pumping gas. And across the way, another gentleman was pumping gas, and, and Dave just minding his own business, gets interrupted from this call. And this guy across the way says, hey, who are you? And he's like, Me? He's like, yeah, who are you? I'm Dave. Who are you? The guy says, no, I didn't ask your name. I asked who you were. Clearly confused, he's like, um, I'm a student. And the guy said, no, I didn't ask what you do. I asked, who are you? And he's obviously very confused at this point. And the guy keeps asking him, yeah, uh, I'm a boy. No, I didn't ask your gender. I asked who you were. I'm a son. I'm a soccer player. And he just kept going. And Dave left that conversation not knowing what to make of it. And it's been so interesting for me to think about that very concept because when somebody asks you, who are you? What is the answer that you give? I mean, what really is your identity? Is it your job? Is it your gender? Is it whether you're a husband or a wife or how much money you make or what you do on the weekends or you're, you're a family man or who are you? I had this conversation with a youth just three weeks ago when he was, uh, to me, he was being a different person at Pulse, our youth ministry, than he was on the weekend. And I, I sat with him in my office and I said, I don't get it, man. I said, the, the you that I see on Sundays, you're serving and you're uh, you're helpful, you have a great attitude, and then when you come to youth on Wednesdays, it's like a totally different you. I go, which you is really you? And he goes, I don't know. This is a question that youth struggle with, but you know what? I don't think it's just youth. It's the reason for midlife crisis, isn't it? I mean, isn't this a question that either plagues you or motivates you to walk through this life? Like, who am I? Why do I exist? I think that there are two questions of identity that must be asked and must be answered by every human being on this planet. And Jesus addresses both of them. And the first and most important question is the question of God's identity. 
This is not a question that, that can just go unanswered. So Jesus, he's walking with his disciples, and this region, I don't know if you know the map or the area of Israel, but this is on the northernmost tip of Israel, Caesarea Philippi. This is on the edge of the land of Israel. This land was named by Philip, who was King, uh, Herod the Great's son, and he named it both after himself, Philippi, and the great Caesar Augustus, Caesarea Philippi. Even the naming of the region that Jesus is walking in has to do with the claiming of identity. You should know that in this region, there were temples to the Syrian god of Baal, to the Greek god of Pan, and also to the Roman godhead of the Caesar. And this is the region where Jesus apparently decides to, for the first time, ask the question of his identity. And so you'll find in the text, he says this to his disciples. They're just, you know, I just imagine them kind of walking along, and he says, hey, fellas, yeah, Jesus? Hey, who do people say that I am? And if you know, if, if you know the names that they give, it's, it's really amazing what they say. He's probably, hey, fellas, who do people say that I am? I'm just curious. Oh, some people think you're John the Baptist. Huh? My dead cousin? John the Baptist got his head cut off. Wait, seriously? People think I'm my dead cousin? I mean, how could I be John the Baptist? You all saw he baptized me. And he got his head cut off. And I'm standing right here. Oh, some people think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Those guys have been dead for a long time. I mean, these answers are astounding. But you know what? I find that even in our world, people have all kinds of answers to the question of who Jesus is. The interns and I, we get to go down to NIC campus, and one of our favorite, I don't know if it's your favorite thing, one of my favorite things to do is just go down and ask students, hey, who's Jesus? You should try that sometime. Just, you know, hey, you don't need to come up with, like, some sermon, some theological, anything. Just ask people, hey, who do you think Jesus is? It's a great way to open the door for conversation. I think that our world is wrestling with this very question. And to that end, I did a little research. So I went to the, you know, the place that you go to get all of the information that you ever want to learn, Google. Because Google can tell you who Jesus is. So I just want to, what you're going to see is going to be, uh, some of them are funny, some of them are unrealistic, some of them might be offensive to you. But this is what I found on the internet, okay? I went to Google Images. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus Western Jesus with blue eyes? Is he African? Is he Middle Eastern Jesus? Next one. Is he calm Jesus? Is he happy Jesus? Is he really? Hey, how pathetic is that sad Jesus? That's a pathetic sad Jesus. Next one. Is he a political Jesus? Is he rock star Jesus? Is he Jedi Jesus? Is he the shepherd Jesus just carrying the sheep? You know, like the felt board when you're a kid. Like, look, he just carries sheep. And you're like, oh, cool. I don't even know what a shepherd is, but awesome. Terrorist Jesus. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Is he a stained glass window Jesus? We'll get back to that. Next one. Is he hipster Jesus? 
Hey, depending on what church you go to, right? Yo. All right. Emo Jesus. Is he your homeboy? Is Jesus your homeboy? Okay. Next one. Is he cute little baby, nine pound, eight ounce baby Jesus? Nobody knows that. Maybe that's right. Is he your Facebook friend? Is he your true helper? Is Jesus your Santa Claus? We'll come back to that one too. Is he a crucified Jesus? Is that how you see him? See, what I'm getting at is how does the world really see this person that you and I base our entire existence around? Who does the world say that he is? Is he crucified? Is he the what's up, Jesus? Next one. Is he absent? Is he your king or is he dead? Is there any more? All right. I want to quickly take a look at these six. Because I'd imagine if Jesus asked the question today and you and I had the privilege to walk with him and he said, hey, who do people say that I am? And I ask that question often. And you know what, this is just six examples of characteristic answers that I get all of the time, and I'm sure that there's more, but let's just uh, dissect a few of these. Some people say, you know what, you speak of this God, and yet I don't see him, I don't experience him, I don't have any, I, I, I don't even understand this God that you speak of, and so for all intents and purposes, I think that this God that you're talking about is absent from this world. You know, if there is a God, which I probably don't believe in, then he's out there somewhere and he has nothing to do with my life. A lot of people live in that reality. And so for them, this would be a picture of their belief. Absent. Gone. Nowhere to be seen. Santa Claus, Jesus. Now that looks ridiculous, but if you're like me, there might have been times in your life, maybe even now, where you find yourself uh, seemingly forgetting about God until you're in need of something. Am I right? That's probably just me. I, don't, I know none of you guys would do that, but I, so often in my life, it's like, hey, I, I am doing well, I'm doing great, I'm doing fine, and so I'm living my life, and then when I have a need, somehow I find myself in this place where I'm crying out to God, God, can you give me this or give me that? Do we treat God like he's Santa Claus? You know, we ought to examine our prayers. When, you, when you, you, you examine, you take inventory at your work, don't you? You should take inventory of your life. When you pray, do you find the majority of your prayers is asking for something for yourself? Do you treat God like Santa Claus? The crucified Jesus. I put him up there because I wanted that picture to represent the fact that God is dead. Frederick Nietzsche coined the term, God is dead. He said, we have crucified him and we have killed him. God is dead. And you know what? Most people in our society might not know the, the philosophy behind Nietzsche and all that, but many people in a growing number believe that very fact, that there is no God. I mean, atheism is on the rise, let's be honest. And so who do you say Jesus is? Is he dead? Is he real? Stained glass window Jesus. You know who he is? He's like that religious thing that your great-grandma believed in. 
you know, the, she sat on her little rocking chair knitting and quilting and all that, and it's like some religion thing that really doesn't affect your life. I, when I was growing up, that's kind of how I viewed this whole thing. I was forced to go to church two times a week for my entire life, and I just sort of viewed it as religious. It's sort of like a stained glass window. Like, I don't really quite understand why it's there. I don't get the concept behind it. And so it's just sort of this thing that my grandma believes in. Facebook, Jesus. You know, kind of your friend, but not really your friend. You know what I'm saying? I don't really know how else to put it, but I mean, that's how we treat our Facebook friends is, oh, I got 6,000 friends. No, you don't. <laughs> you got six friends, all right? <laughs> but isn't it true that sometimes we just uh, treat God like sort of a Facebook friend? He's just sort of there, and we hit him up when we need to, or check up on his status and, you know, see what's going on. But our everyday life kind of doesn't have to do with him. And the final picture is King Jesus. Some people in this world say that Jesus is king and savior. And so here's the question. He's walking with his disciples, and he says, hey, who does everybody say that I am? And they say, well, some people think that you're your dead cousin. Some people think you're one of the prophets of old. And I would think, if it was me, I would have stopped and said, wait, seriously? People think that? But he didn't. Look at the text. It's almost as if he didn't even care what the answer was. He immediately moves on. He doesn't stop to say, wait, John, sir, John is dead. His head was cut off, silver platter, the whole thing. He immediately moves to the question that he really cares about. And who do you say that I am? It's a question of identity. It's a question that's been echoing throughout all of eternity, and the question is still being asked today. The question is being asked of you tonight. Who do you say Jesus is? I submit that it's single-handedly the most important question that you have to answer. There is no greater question. And this question deserves an answer. Whatever the answer is, if anything, it shouldn't go unanswered. And so we see Peter, typically the bold one in the group. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he changes his name. He said, you, you Peter, you are Petros. You are a rock. And on this declaration of who I am, I am going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we see two questions of identity in this passage. Jesus saying, who do people say that I am? Better yet, who do you say that I am? And then he moves on to speak identity to Peter. And so I ask you tonight, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that God is in your life in this world? 
And I understand if you don't feel him, if you don't know him, if you haven't experienced him, but that doesn't mean that he's not real. And you know, I I felt that obviously this is a message, uh, it would seem for people that have no relationship with God, but I felt like there was a lot of truth to go out to the church tonight. That there are people in here that if they, they would never say it like this, but in many ways, they view God sort of as Santa Claus. And we just come to him when we need something. That's not, how, that's not what it's all about. He is, he is everything. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk through life with you. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he really in your heart? And who does he say that you are? What is it that you've been chasing in your life to define your character and your identity? Has it been your work? Or how much money you make? Or your family? Has it been the charities that you give to or what you do with your time? Who really are you? And do you have an answer deep in your soul to that question? I think that tonight God wants to introduce himself to some people in a new way. You see, for me, I did go to church for 18 years of my life. And uh, I, I said a prayer like when I was four years old. And I said it a bunch of times because I was scared it didn't work the time before. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> As if, like, this whole relationship with God thing is just sort of an exchange of getting something for doing something. Do you, know, do you, do you resonate with that at all? Sort of viewed it as, like, salvation as a, a ticket out of hell or ticket to get someplace after I died. And I realized one day, as I got this supernatural slap in the face, where God said, do you really believe in me? I mean, I felt this deep in my soul. He said, Craig, do you really believe in me? And I said, yeah, of course, you know. And he said, no really, do you believe in me? Because you don't act like it. And I was like, oh. And it was the summer in between my junior and senior year of high school where my life absolutely changed. Because I stopped playing religion. In fact, I stopped being a Christian and I started following Jesus. And sometimes there can be a difference. We can get so caught up in just sort of doing the stuff and going to church and and being religious and and trying to be good, but lack the deep and intimate relationship with God. See, he didn't come just to make us better people. He came to raise the dead to life. That's what the gospel is. He didn't come just to help us get cleaned up. He came, and the gospel is that you and I, we were dead, absolutely dead in our transgressions and our sins. And he said, I'm going to raise you from the dead to life. That's the good news that you and I get to follow. This is the king that we have. When we recognize his identity, it's then that we can find out who we are, both in this world and for eternity. And I want you to take note of this fact. This is the first and only time in the entire gospel that Jesus looks at one person and he says, you are blessed. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I never have. Jesus says the word blessed 
Often, even in uh, Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who persecute because of righteousness. But this is the only time to Peter where he looked at one man and he said, blessed are you. It had nothing to do with how much money he had. It had nothing to do with his stature, his position, or what he had gained in this world, or the name that he had made for himself. His blessing had to do with his acknowledgement of the identity of the Son of God. The only person that Jesus called blessed was Peter. And it was after Peter acknowledged who he was where Jesus turned to him and gave him his identity. You notice that he calls him Simon, son of Jonah. And then he says this, but you are Petros. You are a rock. And he even, Peter, if you know the story, he even goes on to make many more mistakes, even to the, to the fact of denying Jesus as he was being crucified after he so boldly said, I'll never deny you even unto death. So mistakes were made, and more mistakes were made. And yet, Jesus makes this declaration of him, you are a rock. You will feed my sheep. And you and the declaration of my identity is what I'm going to build my church on. So do you know him tonight? How do you see him tonight? Who really is Jesus to you? You know, C.S. Lewis uh, addresses one of the greatest questions of our culture and our time because uh, one of the pictures that I didn't identify, the, the answer that we get so often is that Jesus was a good teacher. Surely he was a great teacher. He was a prophet. He was a wonderful teacher. He was a good man. And C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, that is one thing that we ought not to say. To merely call him a good teacher is almost ridiculous. Because he was not a good teacher if the things that he said about himself were not true. He was either a lunatic, absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. C.S. Lewis was like this. He was on the same level as a poached egg with his craziness. He wasn't a good teacher. He was either a lunatic or he was a straight-up liar. Or he really was Lord. And that truth rings true today. I mean, I believe that he was one of the three of those. And you know, I think that there's so many people that say, yeah, I believe, I believe that Jesus existed. And you know what? I believe that Buddha existed. Because he did. And so did Jesus. But you know who else believes that Jesus existed? The demons. It says even the demons believe in God and they shudder. And so what is, there's got to be a difference between Believing something intellectually exists and putting your heart and your soul and your life, believing with everything that you are in something. And I want you to know tonight that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not 21 steps to a better life. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a set of knowledge. It's not a religion. The gospel of God is a person and his name is Jesus. He is everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is the reason why we gather and do church together. He is the reason why we worship, why we give. 
He is everything to us. If you had any confusion as to why we so value church, we're not religious. We just have a relationship with a living God. Seth, you want to hop up here? And so I want to ask you tonight, who do you say that Jesus is? And who are you? This series that we're in called The Blessed Life, it really could mean many different things. I think about that word, and when I was younger, I used to, I used to get really frustrated when I heard that word. Because I almost felt like when people were asking to be blessed, it was sort of this selfish question or selfish ask. God bless me. Bless me. It was as if uh, when I went to my dad as a kid and I wanted to get something from him, and so I did something for him. Did you ever do that when you were younger? It's like, you, you know, I really wanted to get a car when I was 16, and it, of course I couldn't pay for it. And so I, I was just trying to think, what can I do to please my parents or to work for them so they will buy me a car? And sometimes I wonder if that's kind of how we view God, is we want him to bless us as if the blessing that he's going to give us is something outside of himself in our life. As if the blessing that we're searching for is something that we're going to get from him instead of him in our life. I think back to uh, Jacob and Esau. If you know the story, it's found in the book of Genesis. And when the two twins came out, Esau came out first, so technically he was the firstborn son. He deserved the blessing from the father. And there came a day where Jacob came in and in cohort, uh, what's the word? Conspiracy, cahoots, cahoots, thank you. In cahoots with his mom, he puts hair on his arms and because his father had lost his sight, he goes in and he steals the blessing from his father. How does he do it? By lying about his identity. I'm Esau, father. Bless me. And so he, he gets the blessing. And really what it leads to is 20 years of torment where he goes, runs away from home, he works to marry this one girl and then, oops, hey, got with the wrong girl and then he works seven more years to marry another girl. And then there comes a day where he's like, I've had it, I need to go home and I'm scared of my brother because surely he wants to kill me. And on this journey home, it says this of the man named Jacob. He wrestled with God. And this is what he says. As he was wrestling with God, he said, bless me. Bless me. He wanted to live the blessed life. And the interesting thing about that story is, the question that God asks him is this. What is your name? You see, because when he stole the first blessing in his life, it was by lying about who he was. It was about covering up his identity. But when he met with God, God gave him the opportunity, standing before him, to just openly come out and say, this is who I am. I am Jacob. Whatever I am, I am. 
And he said that very thing. He said, I am Jacob. And it's at that point that God blessed him and he changed his name to Israel. And you and I exist because of this man today. So who are you? And who do you say God is? Two of the most important questions that you could ever ask. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. What I really hope is that every single person in this room tonight realizes that this whole thing is not about religion. I didn't really get excited about religion. But when I came into a relationship with a living God, my whole life changed. You see, sometimes I come across people and they they almost act as if we're some sort of like different breed, like aliens from a different planet. Like, we, we value things like uh, saving sexual relations with one person for our marriage. We value things like giving of our, of our money to the poor and giving, giving of our money to the church. We value things like serving and making ourselves low. And sometimes I think people look at us like, you know, you're just a religious person and so it's somehow natural for you. But that couldn't be any further from the truth. I mean, every person in this room, you know, left to our own accord, we would want to serve ourselves and be selfish and get with girls and get with guys and, you know, even, you know, give give ourselves to drugs and alcohol or whatever it might be or pursuit of money and fame and prestige. We're all in the same boat. It's not that some of us are religious good people and some of us aren't. It's that when God gets a hold of your heart, Everything changes. One of the terms that the Bible uses to describe this, Jesus says, a person must be born again. And I'd imagine that there are some people in this room tonight that your heart is pounding within your chest. And if I were to ask you the question, do you know that you know that you know this God? I mean, have you acknowledged him not to just be a Facebook friend, not just to be Santa Claus, but is Jesus the king of your life? Is he your all in all? Is he everything to you? Have you given him your heart and your soul? You would say, no, I haven't. And you know what? I'm pretty content with my life and the way that it is right now. And I just want to remind you of this fact, that there was a point in time in your life that you were extremely content the same way that you might be content right now. It was when you were still living in your mother's womb. Have you ever thought about that before? If I could ask you as an unborn baby, hey, what's life like and do you want it to change? You would say, absolutely not. This is perfect. I have all the shelter that I would need. I have all the food that I would need. I remember my wife when she was pregnant, she's like, this kid takes whatever food he wants. It's like a parasite inside my belly. Just takes all the food and just eats it and just leaves me feeling sick. That was your life. It was great. You had shelter. You had food. You had comfort. Am I right? 
What if I could have described to you, hey, there's life on the other side, and you know what? Going through might be really tough and might be really tight and it might hurt a little bit, but there is life on the other side. You might say, no, I'm good. I am so good. I got everything I need right now. (laughs) And you might look at that and be like, no, there's no way I could get through that. (laughs) I don't believe it. Am I right? Because it might feel tight and there might be pressure, but you know what? It might even break your bones, but the life that's on the other side is the only life that there is to have. It's the only true life. For to stay within the mother's womb would mean death. You can't stay there. And so I think... This is a perfect analogy that Jesus uses, is that a man or a woman must be born again, this time not of the flesh, but this time of the spirit. And so I just want to invite you, every person in this room, to bow your head and close your eyes right now. I'm going to ask a very simple question. It's the same question I've been asking all night. Who do you say that Jesus is? I mean, really, church, deep in your soul, who do you say that Jesus is? Because he's not Santa Claus. And if we're to live the blessed life, then we are not to be people that just chase after blessings that he might give us, but we are to be people that chase after his person and his relationship in our life. Or maybe you're in this room and you would say, you know what, I don't know him. Maybe you don't know anything about the Bible. Maybe this is your first time ever being to church. And I would just say, we're so glad that you're here. And maybe, just maybe, the God of the universe brought you here tonight. Not so you could experience a good and a loud and a crazy church service, but so that he can meet you. So with everybody's eyes closed, I want to ask uh, a few questions. If you're in this room tonight, and you would say, I don't know this God, I don't even know anything about this God. But if there is a God and his name is Jesus, the way that you've been speaking of tonight, I would like to know him. If your heart is pounding inside of your chest right now, and that's you, would you just raise your hand high in the air? See that hand? Is there anyone else? You would say, I want to know Jesus tonight. I want to declare him to be my king. Awesome. I want to ask a second question. If the identity that you've been placing on God is anything other than who he really is, and you want to get it straight tonight, And you say, you know, I've either been treating him just like a Facebook friend or I've been treating him like my Santa Claus or I've been treating him as if he's absent. Maybe you feel like he's absent in your life. If you feel that way, I understand. Sometimes the silence of God is so piercing. But he is present and he is true and he is real. And if you need to bring into alignment who you say that he is, I just want you to come out of your seat and come forward and just receive prayer from one of these folks up front. 
Just right now, don't be scared. And next, if you need help with your identity, maybe you've been placing your identity in how much money you make or your job or anything other than who God has called you to be, would you come forward right now as well? It says the prayer of a righteous man can avail much. I think that God wants to work on some identities tonight. I'm going to close this in prayer. And I would encourage you, don't leave tonight. If your heart is weighing heavy in your soul, come forward and let one of these folks pray with you. Father, we thank you. I thank you that every person who came here tonight, came here for a reason. Lord, I thank you that you would draw them. I thank you for the blessing that you have breathed onto this church and this family, God. Uh, I thank you for the blessings that you are leading us, both with this building, but more importantly than that, who we are as a church family. God, I thank you that the blessings that you would give us is you in our life and the relationship that we might find in you. We thank you, God, that you are everything that you breathe life, that you give us life and life abundant. God, would you draw every person in this room to you? If there's anything that's weighing on their heart or their mind or their life or their family, God, would you deliver them from it? Lord, would you bless them and keep them, make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them, God, and give them peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.